Okay, so we are on the bottom of 43b, and what the Mishnah had stated is that what the Kayin Gadol does after he accepts the, the blood, he hands it to someone who's standing on one of the levels in the, what we think is the Heichal itself, right? The actual holier part of the Beis HaMikdash, and he hands it to him to mix it so that it does not end up congealing. So the Gemara asks, what do you mean? You're not allowed, there's not allowed to have anybody in that area while the Kayin Gadol is doing the service. So the Gemara says it doesn't mean in the actual Heichal, rather it means on the steps leading to the Heichal, okay? That's what we got up to last night. So the Gemara now says, Tanarabana, the last line of the page, sixth word on the line. Tanarabana, we learned in Rabaisa. Bechal Adam lo ba'ayel, and that there shall be no man or no man shall be in the ayel ma'ed, in the tent of meeting. Now, this is obviously talking about in the Torah itself, and the Torah is describing what we think of as the Mishkan, as the tabernacle. Now, the Oel Moed was the interior part of the, of the Mishkan, and that is the part where no one else is permitted to be. Now, I might have thought to say that not only can no man be found in the tabernacle at all, but Yachal, I'm sorry, not only in the, in the actual uh, the tent of meeting, but maybe even in the exterior area, or the way it's translated into the base of Mekdash, not just in the Heichal would it be not permitted, but even in the Azara, even in the actual courtyard. Yachal, I might have thought to say that even in the Azara itself, no one is permitted to be found at the time that Kangadal is doing the service. Tamil therefore, the Pasuk tells us, the Ohel Moed, in the tent of meeting. It is only in the tent of meeting that there is a problem. Sheba Midbar, that in the tent of meeting itself, in the Midbar itself, and only maybe in the desert, in the actual Mishkan, when it was located in the desert, maybe that's where there's a prohibition to be found. Shiloh, Beisei Lama Minai. And how do you know that when the, base, when the Mishkan was found in Shiloh, which is where it lasted for many years, that there would still be a prohibition for someone to be found in the Oel Moed at the time of the of the of the Kain uh, doing the Abaita on Yom Kippur, and also how do you know that in the base of Mikdash you'll have a problem? Tamalaymar, therefore the pasuk says in the holy place. I only know this during the time of the Hakdara that it is prohibited for someone to be found in the Oel Moed in the tent of meeting, or as I said, what's translated into the base of Mikdash is what we call the Echal. That's only during the time of the Hakdara of the time of the bringing up of the incense. Bishas mata damaminai, and how do you know that the time of the sprinkling of the blood as part of the service that the Kohen Gadol does on Yom Kippur? How do you know that no one can be found in this area? says, when he comes in to atone. And we know, we've discussed previously, that what is the item, what is the action that actually atones for us on Yom Kippur? That is the sprinkling of the blood. Over here, we only see that at the time of the Knisa, at the time of the going in, it is going to be a, it's necessary that no one is found anywhere in the, in the Ohel Mohed, in the tent of meeting. And how do you know that at the time that he comes out, it's the same thing. The Pasuk says, until he comes out. continues to analyze. It says that he will atone for himself and for his household. And also on behalf of the entire congregation of Israel. First, he has to atone for himself, then he can atone for his house. As we said in yesterday's staff, that you can only be, only someone who is already meritorious on his own can possibly atone for others. First, he has to atone for his household, then he can atone for his brethren of the Kohanim. And the atonement of his brothers, the priests, that comes ahead of the atonement of the rest of the congregation of Israel. Omar Mar, Mar says, Master says, I only know that there's a prohibition at the time of the actual burning of the katharis, of the incense. 
My mashma, how do we see this? Amar Rava, Rava says, Chain Amar Vitzlifarabdimi, it's so to Vitzlifarabdimi says. Chain Amar Rebelezer, it's so to Rebelezer says. Amar Kra, the Pasuk says, Chiper Baado, Ubaad Beso. He shall atone for himself and also for his household. Ubaad Kalkahal Yisrael, and also on behalf of the entire congregation of Israel. Ezel Kapara, Sheshava Lo Ulubeso, Achavakahanam, Kalkahal Yisrael. What is the atonement that will be equivalent for himself, for his house? For the children of Israel and for the Gohanim as well. Ali Aimer, you come to say, that is the burning of the incense. Okay? So, what the Gemara is saying is that the time in which no one can be there is the time of the burning of the incense. We see that the atonement that is equivalent between all of the different factions over here is going to be the incense burning. The Gemara now asks, and is it true that the burning of the Keteras is Mechaper? So far, what we've said is that the sprinkling of the blood is Mechaper. Who said that the burning of the Keteras is actually going to atone for you? In, indeed, it is true. We learn that the incense is able to create atonement, as it is written in the Torah. And he shall place the Keteras, the incense, on the fire. And through that, he will atone for the people. And they said over in the measures of Rabbi Ishmael, what is it going to be mechaper for? A little bit of a scary thought. They were speaking Lashon Hara. Right? Take something which is done, which is what we call which is done uh, you know, in, a, in a very quiet way, in a private fashion, because it is done in the Kedosh HaKadosh, in the Holy of Holies, only the King Gadol can go. And let it come to atone for that which is done in secret, in other words. To atone for speaking Lashon Hara. Tadan Hassan, we learned in a Mishnah elsewhere. Now the Gemara is going to go into an analysis about where else one is not permitted to be at different points of the service. So, so far what we've been talking about is in the Heichal itself. Now what we're going to say is that there might be other places in the Beis HaMikdash that it is not permitted to be found at different times of the service by the Kayin. So you're not even allowed to be in the space in between the ulam and the mizbeach at the time of the burning of the incense. Now, remember, the mizbeach is outside the heichel, but you're still not allowed to be even in that area at the time of the burning of the incense. This is only true at the time of the burning of the incense that is taking place in the heichel itself. However, at the time of the incense that is burnt only on Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies, right, in the Kodesh HaKadashim, right, that is only true. So let's just take this out outside, okay? So on a typical day, twice a day, there is Ketoros, there is incense brought, but that Ketoros is put on the Mizbeach, not in the Mizbeach inside the Kodesh HaKadashim, but in the Mizbeach inside the Heichal. At that time, Everybody has to leave the area of the Heichal and also the area in between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, right? But when it comes to the, the incense that is put on the inside the actual Kedesh Kedashim, then only the people from the, the, the Heichal have to leave, but not people from in between the Ulam and the Mizbeach. Master of Adabar Abba, Adabar Abba asks the question. Amri La and other people say Kedi. The same way you have to leave the area, abstain from being in the area between the ulam, the hallway, and the mezbeach, and the altar at the time of the burning of the incense. So too you have to leave at the time when they're sprinkling the blood from what is called the, the par kayin mashiach. Par kayin mashiach is halacha, that when the, when the kayin gadol makes a mistake and there's a sack based on that. He has to bring a certain type of offering as an atonement. 
And you have a different type of offering. It's a similar type of offering. When the entire congregation makes an error about a halacha and they do something that is forbidden and thinking that is permitted, when they find out their mistake, they have to bring a special offering, which is called a par helam daver, a par, a cow that is brought because of a mistaken, uh, you know, uh, something that they didn't realize. And when the nation, or at least the part of the nation, worships Abayi when they come to do tshuva, they have to bring a seirim, which are goats. So what is the difference between the ulam, between, sorry, the area in between the ulam, and the, which is like the antechamber, and the mezbeach, versus the area that is known as the hechal, which is in the interior area? What's the difference between these two places? Right? Sorry, like this. When you're in the when people are going to be in the in the Hechel, right? You're not allowed to be there. In the Hechel, you're not allowed to be, whether it is at the time of the burning of the incense, or whether it's not at the time of the burning of the incense. When it comes to standing in between the antechamber and the Mizbeach, only at the actual time of the burning of the incense, you're not allowed to be there. Um, but not at the burning of the incense, you're allowed to be there. What do we see from here? At the time of the burning of the incense, indeed, it is absolutely obligatory to find yourself a different place and not be standing in the area in between the ulam, the antechamber, and mezbeach, the altar. My lap, Gemara now gets to its question. Is it not then referring to a case, is it not then referring to a case when, when we say that you have to get away from this area that is talking about, to get away from the area at the time of the burning of the incense in the Kodesh HaKadash? Is it not then talking about that? Boy, that's not the reference. Rather, it's referring to the time of the burning in the Hechal. But at the time of the burning in the Kodesh HaKadash, in the Holy of Holies, when they're burning the incense, indeed, it is only obligatory to leave the Hechal. It is not obligatory to leave the area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach. If so, well, then what's the difference? Why are we stating that there's a, a distinguishing characteristic between these two places, an advantage of one place over the other? Is there only one and nothing more? There's also this difference. When it comes to the Hechal, right? When it comes to the, the, at the Hechal, you have to be away from that area, whether it is the time of the Hakdara, whether it's the time of the burning of the incense in the Hechal, whether it's in the time of the burning of the incense in the Kodesh HaKadash, in the Holy of Holies. But when it comes to separating from the area in between the ulam and the mezbeach, you only have to leave that area at the time of the burning of the incense inside the heichal, and not at the time of the burning of the incense inside the Kedusha Kedusha. Gemara says, Hakatoni, this is exactly what he was determined to teach us. You missed the boat. That's exactly what the Brisa was teaching. That in the heichal, you have to leave that area, whether it's the time of the burning, whether it's not the time of the burning. Between the ulam and the mezbeach, you only have to leave at the time of the burning of the incense. What do you mean? There's this other, other advantage that we just, just got finished saying. In the heichal, you have to leave whether the terrorist is being brought in the heichal, whether the terrorist is being brought in the Kodesh HaKadash. But when it comes to standing in between the ulam and the altar, the only time to leave would be um, during the Kedusha of the Heichal. In other words, the, the item of Ketoros that is being brought in the Heichal itself. Amar Rabba. says, Shem Prisha Achasi, that when we talk about the advantage of the Heichal, in other words, the higher level of holiness associated with the Heichal over the area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, 
we're really just saying the overall category of times that one is porish. The difference is that there's certain times in which one has to leave the Heichal, and, and there are other times in which one also has to leave the area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach. The Heichal, it has a certain advantage, so to speak, that even at times when you're allowed to be in between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, you're not allowed to leave the, you're, you're still allowed to, you still are obligated to leave the Heichal. Amar Mar, Kach Parshin Meshas Matan Par Mashiach. They also would keep away at the time of the sprinkling of the blood of the Kayan Mashiach. Kayan Mashiach means a Kayan who was anointed. It does not mean the Kayan who is going to be the Mashiach. We know the Mashiach is either going to be Ben Yosef or Ben David. There's not going to be a Mashiach Ben Aaron, right? Nobody's ever heard that one, right? So Mashiach over here means that he is anointed. The word Mashiach just means anointed, okay? So the way to become a Kayan Gadol is either through a Mashiach, through getting anointed, or through putting on the eight Begadim in the absence of the anointing oil that Moshe Rabbeinu had made, which indeed we no longer had in the second base of Mekash, of course, in the first base of Mekash. So, however, if a Kayan Mashiach does a certain sin, then like I said, he, at the time of the sprinkling of the offering that he brings as atonement, everybody has to leave. And also the power that the, the Tzibur, the community has forgotten a certain halacha, that carbon the ox that is brought as atonement, everybody has to leave. The Syria of Edis or the, the offering of the, the goats that one has to bring as atonement for serving of Edis Kechavim. Minalan, how do you know that they have to leave at that time? In these places, it says kapara, it says to atone. And it also says kapara by Yem Kippurim, by Yem Kippur. This ends up becoming what we call a Shaba, a tradition that these two words are teaching you that the halacha is similar. So the same way that on Yom Kippur, one has to leave this area at the time of the service of the Kohen Gadol. So too, for these other services, because it also says kapara, one has to leave during the time of the service. So we see from here that the difference in standards between these places is on a total level, right? In other words, the difference between the Heichal itself and the area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, that one is considered holier than the other, it must be on a Torah level. Why? And they must have had a tradition to this law because we don't have any specific verse in the Torah teaching this. The Yisach because if we would say that this is only of a rabbinic origin, what's the difference dealing with the space between the Ulam and the Mizbeach and the Ulam and the altar? Why would we say it's forbidden to stand there? Because you might end up going into the Heicha. And that's why we would not allow you into the Ulam and the Mizbeach. Well, then what we should say is you should even stay away from the entire Azara. Sorry, like this. If you tell me that the between the Ulam and the Mizbeach and the Heichal are on exactly the same level, then what is the reason that we're saying you can't go into the Ulam and the area between the Ulam? Because you might then go into the Heichal. Well, by the same token, you should also say that you should not allow people to go anywhere in the Azara. So if it would be a rabbinic concern, then even the Azara will be off limits, the entire courtyard will be off limits. But if we say it's on the Raisa level, so on the Raisa level, there's distinctions. The Torah drew for us to certain distinctions. It's not a rabbinic ordinance which has to follow that everything should be completely uh, you know, uh, aligned with each other. Gemara says, between the altar and the antechamber, because there's nothing separating, between that area and, and the next area of the Heichal, it's not obvious that you're going to be entering into a danger zone. That nobody's going to make the mistake of going from the Azara, going from the exterior courtyard into the area between the Ulam and the Mizbeach, because there is a Mizbeach, the exterior, the large altar outside that will block you coming in. And not, not actually block, you can walk around it, but you're going to remember not to come.
I see from here that the holiness of the Ulam, the antechamber, and the Hechel must be on the same level. Because if you thought that they were two different levels of Kedusha, Ulam the Ulam itself is only a Xera, it's only an enactment. And we're going to then go make another enactment on top of that. Typically, we do not make enactments on top of enactments. The entire idea of an enactment is to say, a Torah level, something is forbidden. The rabbis come in and make a fence around that, as we learn in Pirkei Avos, to ensure that we don't come to violate the Torah prohibition. But they don't then come and add another level of fence after that. That's just not what we do. Gemara says, The ulam itself and between the ulam and the mezbeach, they're exactly the same level of holiness. But the heichal and the ulam are different levels of kedusha. Continuing in the Mishnah, so we're talking about the, the clearing away of the coals that they're going to end up taking in the fire pan, that later on they will put the, the handful of, of the Ketoras in it when they go into the Kedesh HaKadash, right? So we said that every day when they would scoop up the coals, they would use a shovel out of silver, and then they would take the shovel of silver and then stick the coals into the golden um, fire pan. My time, what's the reason? The Torah does not want you to use gold because gold is obviously more valuable. It is also softer and easier to break. And therefore, the Torah does not want to use gold because that will end up costing us more money. But we say that on this day, you use gold. And therefore, the gold is what comes in as well, as the Mishnah teaches. Why don't we want you to switch on this day? Because the Kain Gadol, because he is weak and tired and fasting, we don't want to make his job more difficult and the, the, to make him transfer from the fire, the silver shovel into the golden fire pan. That's not a smart solution. Every other day of the year, there are four kav worth of coals. Tana, we learned in Abraisa. In our Mishnah, we said that uh, either there are four, four a, the, the, um, the shovel had capacity of four kav or capacity for six kav. And then we said you end up with three kav. Now, we're saying Abraisa now. When you're taking the coals, one of the cabin would get scattered out of the out of the container. That's why you only had three after that. Then you afterwards you would you would um, you know sweep it away into the ama into the area where like the garbage goes. One brisa teaches that there was one cab that got scattered. Another says two cab get scattered. According to the one who says that only one cab gets scattered, Rabbanon, that's the opinion of the Rabbanon. But the one who teaches that two cab got scattered, Mani, who's the opinion? It's not going to be it's not going to be Rabbi The Chachamim said there were four cab to start with, three cab at the end. Rabbi said there were, I just told you how the four fingers, sorry. Rabbi says that you start with a six cab and then you would lose three cab if you're ending with three at the end. Nobody would say you're down to two and then you're left with three. They would come in with kabayim. They would come in with the, the later coals that they brought in. It was actually in a fire pan that only contained within it, only contained within it two kav. So you lost two kav and you had a container of two kav. So if you say that you had a container of three kav, then it would be up the creek. But now that we're saying that he actually came in with a container worth of Two calves, right? So have it starting off with four and losing two, you end up with two. You could even say it's the opinion of Rabiasi, who said that you come in with six. Well, what do you mean? If you come in with six and you lose two, no matter how many times you try, you're going to end up with three. 
We knew that the typical thing that they would use the rest of the year was a shovel that was made out of midbar, was a shovel that was had a volume of a saw. Now, when, typically when we say saw, the typical usage would be referring to a saw, the six pound. However, this saw is a trick. It is not the six pound saw, rather it is midbarius, which is the only five pound. In the desert, the measurements were smaller. So it's only a five pound measurement. And then they put it into a fire pan that has the capacity for three cabin on a uh, what we call Jerusalem cabin, right? Jerusalem cabin because the measurements went up when they went into Jerusalem. Every other day of the year, the fire pan, I'm sorry, the fire pan and the shovel were heavy. The actual container was heavy. This year, this day it was light. Every other day, every other day of the year, the, the container was itself was made out of a very thick, uh, you know, process, right? It was probably more durable, but it also was going to be heavier than, right? It's thicker. Now, um, but on this day, on this day, it was not. On this day, by Yom, by Yom, but today it was going to be out of a, a thinner, a softer, um, Container, so it wasn't as hard, it wasn't as heavy. Every other day the handle was shorter. And today the handle was longer. My time was the reason of that he could like sort of rest it on his arm as he's moving forward. So it doesn't end up, you know, he could get a little more leverage and it's not quite as heavy. Every other day of the year there was no bell on this shovel, and today there was a bell. These are the words of this scan, a son of the scan, son of the deputy. The Mishnah says that every other day of the year, the gold was a, um, a green gold, so to speak. There are seven types of gold. Zahav, gold. Zahav, toiv, and good gold. Zahav, oifer, and the Zahav from oifer, right? In Malachim, in Kings, we learn about the fact that Shlomo Malach sent these expeditions to Ophir to get tons and tons of gold. Zahav, moifes. Both the will say what Zahav, moifes is. Zahav, shachot, and not not slaughtered gold. We'll see what that is. The zahav sagar, closed gold. The zahav parvim and zahav of parvim. Zahav the zahav How do you know that there's something called gold and good gold? El sibes is written. The zahav aaretz hahu toiv zahav. Eifer. How do you know that's eifer? What is that referring to? The asimi eifer. It comes from the place known as eifer. Zahav mufas. What's zahav mufas? Right. So zahav mufas is shedoyma lepaz. It is similar to the the jewel known as paz. We're turning the page, obviously, to to um. We'll finish up with this. Zahav shachut, shenitfakechut, that it is spun like a chut, like a, like a thread that is spun. Zahav sagur, it is locked or closed gold. Bishashenitfakech, because when people want to buy this gold, kolachanuyas niskaris. If somebody is selling this gold, every other every other store cannot even sell anything that they want because everybody wants this gold. Zahav parvayim, what's that? Shedoyimalehem, that it looks to them. That it looks to them It looks similar to um, the blood of a par. Okay, we're going to, uh, you know, let's just go a little further to the two dots. Rashi Amar, Rashi actually says there's not seven types of gold, rather, there are Hamishahin, there are five types of gold. And each one really has two grades it has a grade of good gold and better, of gold and good gold. Every other day of the year, the gold was called greenish or yellowish. And this day it was red. And this is what we call the, the Zahav of the Parvayim. Because it looks like the, the blood of a para. Okay.